0: It would be foolish to move into any to move my company's capital to any one institution or any one instrument, including U.S. dollars and the U.S. banking system. So I was like, this is why am I why am I 100% invested in this one counterparty that something could easily happen, some black swan event that is clearly happening if the government didn't intervene. We don't know if AI itself is actually a good investment right now. I find myself agreeing more with like Peter Thiel on this where I think we're actually in a period where we believe things are progressing really quickly, but we're actually in significant amount of stagnation. I think that's most evident by, if you take your head out of the world of bits and stick it into the world of atoms, where sure, we've got these language models, we've got mid journey, which can create this incredible images and like legitimately good AR and VR tools coming out. Like the digital world is getting pretty good. But we also have like planes with doors flying off in the air. I have treated my cash, like my U.S. dollars, like as less valuable, and made less disciplined decisions with them. It's almost like this is the money to burn, whatever. Um, and then as soon as it as soon as it transforms into Bitcoin, it becomes more valuable to me, even if it's the same exact price level, even if the price doesn't change. So I've realized that once putting the Bitcoin on the company balance sheet, a similar phenomenon has happened.
1: This podcast is entertainment, not financial tax or legal advice. Views expressed represent statements of the speaker in their individual capacity, do not represent the views of Unchained, and should not be considered investment advice. Speakers often have personal, family, or business connections to Unchained, which may include direct financial benefits. Please see our disclosure at unchained.com slash podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Frontier podcast. This week, I have on Drew D'Agostino. Drew, welcome. (laughs) Thanks, Joe. It's good to be here. Yeah, Yeah, glad to have you. Um, For those that are watching that may not know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your company, and how you originally became interested in Bitcoin?
0: Sure. Uh, Yeah, my my company's called Crystal. Um, It's, uh, or Crystal Knows, some people refer to it. And we started in about 2015 um, with a a product that can predict anybody's personality and help people communicate more effectively. So it really started with a very broad idea, that you could take public information and apply uh, machine learning and try to understand how to communicate or how to understand you know, personality traits, things like that. And starting with that kind of nugget of an idea, it has evolved into a more robust platform for businesses to, to understand how people buy, make decisions, um, help them communicate effectively with customers and prospects. So that's kind of the core of it and it's, it's evolved a lot since then. Um, we, yeah, so we're, we're a pretty traditional SaaS company, nothing to do with Bitcoin or um, anything financial, but uh, to your question about Bitcoin, I've, uh, we made the decision about a year ago to kind of adopt the Bitcoin treasury strategy as a small, it's like a pretty small SaaS company, about 30 employees, um, and I would say since, since then, it's kind of been creeping into more and more areas, but um, that's kind of the the high-level story, yeah.
1: Yeah, I definitely want to dive into, you know, adopting Bitcoin as your part of your treasury for your, your SaaS company. But first, I guess, can you explain more of like how you personally got interested in Bitcoin? Like what was the ticking point? At what point? What were you reading? What were you learning?
0: Um, well, I was, so I grew up in an environment where I was, I think I primed for Bitcoin because my dad was a gold bug. He is a gold bug still is now he's he's fully orange pilled but he <laughs> I grew up like listening to gosh, you know um, random videos and i I learned about economics from Ron Paul. I was really into like Thomas Soul. Um I read Atlas shrugged I think when I was 18 or 19 for a month trying to absorb it and understand. so I was like a, I, I think I was already kind of um, I, was, I was very you know into like gold. In silver as a like a teenager and a young adult um and i guess that yeah I'm, I'm 33 now so i was going through that period before bitcoin existed and then i'm trying to remember actually when i learned about bitcoin it was it was during the one of the the big run-ups like a thousand because i remember some friends talking about it and i had been just out of college at the time um i was curious didn't really i didn't really think much about it and then i remembered one time, it was in twenty early 2016, when I had, um, I, I think it was the first time I felt like I had investable assets, and I remember like specifically making a spreadsheet and thinking, okay, how do I want to invest? And I was into real estate, I was into precious metals, I was into stocks, and then I was like, okay, cool, I'm going to put a little bit into into Bitcoin, um, just like throw away. Now, looking back at it, I'm like, oh, wow, <laughs> that allocation is a little bit off, but um, that's when I first really learned about it. And I guess that's six years ago, no, no, sorry, eight years ago now. And it's been just like a, 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 same for a lot of people, just an ongoing rabbit hole and adventure since then.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah, t- totally. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, so, so when you first learned about Bitcoin, would you say that you were like skeptical at first, like most people or like, you obviously didn't allocate a large enough position or you wish you'd, you know, everyone wishes they wish, uh, they they had put more bitcoin put more into bitcoin back then but would, would that be the case with you like you were skeptical at first and then over time your conviction grew
0: definitely i think it when i i it's it's really hard to like put yourself in that in that mindset again to understand how did i think about this before i had all this other information so i remember i'll put it this way i, I think i the same week that i um the, the same week that i bought like my, my first bitcoin um I think it was like four hundred dollars at the time. The I also bought my first rental property, which was the smallest apartment I could find in Nashville. I could I found this like small studio apartment, and I was like, all right, I I really want to figure out real uh, real estate investing, and I want to try to rent this thing out. and And I remember putting so much thought and energy, and I got this like three books on real estate investing, and tried to learn as much as I could went through the whole process, spend all this time. And then also in, in the process, not really connected to it, listening to some podcasts or forget. Um, guy I think I read one of the early Bitcoin books and I forget which one, but basically was learning about Bitcoin. I was like, okay, cool. Sure. I'll buy one. See, see about it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like looking, at, looking at the comparison and looking at the discrepancy in the amount of time uh, investment capital put into the, in, into the real estate. I'm like, Okay, clearly, I had I, I was I was actively looking and I had some level of skepticism, but I think I just considered it some random bet. Um, didn't really understand what Bitcoin was. Just kind of had a, a a very surface level concept at the time. I also bought like more like gold and silver because I wanted to. That that was actually I, I had on. It's funny I had an understanding for what I now know as sound money, but that was. I kind of like attributed that to gold. So I had the same underlying logic in my brain, but it was just all the salt kind of aimed at precious metals. So that's it's, it's a little bit disjointed, but those are the thoughts I remember going on in my head at the time. And then I remember not really thinking about it for a year until me and my, I had one other friend who was also invested in Bitcoin and about a year later, when it started running up in 2017, he, he shot me a text message like, Hey, have you checked the uh, Bitcoin? And I think ever since then, early 2017, you know, thoroughly really stopped paying attention to it, but it was really funny because I, re- I remember not even thinking about it at all until he messaged me and never going back and forth that entire year.
1: Yeah, that was crazy. I mean, that's the one thing about Bitcoin is like everyone loves number go up and when number go- starts going up, you're like, Whoa, what's happening here? This is crazy. Um, I it, do what it makes you.
0: It, it, it's it's almost it, it almost like forces you to pay attention to it yeah. in that way. And I, I don't know, there's something something weird about that. As soon as you stop paying attention to it, it gets your attention again with the the lizard brain number go up.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So how did you? So you originally personally got into Bitcoin, 2016, 2017. What when did you make the jump to putting Bitcoin in your corporate or your company balance sheet? And what was the catalyst that really made you do that specifically?
0: Hmm. So I think as I, I, I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs and people who just like run businesses about this question, and for me, it was a long time of understanding and owning Bitcoin before ever letting it touch my business, um, despite all the knowledge I had accumulated, um, and I remember talking to my peers about this and there's, there's, there's almost like a sense of career risk or, um, this thought of like, okay, I can do whatever I can, I can do crazy things with my own money. Um, but you know, I have to be responsible, like do things on behalf of others, get kind of approvals and, and kind of have like a very logical, pragmatic perspective about business, which ultimately results in a lot of like conservatism. Um, so I guess after personally learning and investing in Bitcoin for maybe seven years, um fi- the, what led up to finally in 2020 early 2023 um deciding to not just invest a little bit of the balance sheet, but like kind of putting a large chunk of of our treasury into Bitcoin. Um I'd say that was a multi-year process, even even that decision. Um so I wanted to actually initially in 2020. That's when I started broaching the subject. And it was it was right around the time Michael Saylor made his first like investment. And I was like, okay, this guy's thinking the same way I am. I'm gonna do it with, you know tiny tiny fraction of the amount of capital but i want to follow this and then i started running into friction with it um one of those friction points i would say there was technical friction there was social friction and then there was governance friction Um, the technical side was i didn't have a good way to actually buy it and custody it Um, i couldn't open like a coinbase or, or gemini account for the business You, you, at the time I remember trying it and I could only, I kept getting rejected for things because we weren't like a financial institution. It was these, these, these products were available for financial institutions, but not like a regular business. So I had to almost, I remember the only option was to open as an individual account. I'm like, well, this is not individual. This is a corporate account. So I was like, I'm not going to push on this too far. I'm not a financial business. I don't want to like distract myself. Um, And then there was also the. At the time, like, because I didn't want to just do this rogue. So even though I, I control the board or the, uh, I'm the, the um, chairman of the board of my company and stuff, I wanted to get the stakeholders, you know, kind of signed off on it. And I remember I remember just like starting to encounter that and it still seemed a little bit crazy. And I'm like, okay, we have a lot to figure out as a business that I need to be allocating time for. So it was just a lot of resistance to um, um, a strategy like that. So. Kind of just put it on hold, watch the price run up, like, okay, well, maybe <laughs> maybe next time. um if it ever comes down from here, we'll kind of visit it again and then ended up in another another bear market. Um, so what actually prompted it though was fast forward three years to March of last year when we had the Silicon Valley Bank issue so we we are uh, we're not a bootstrap company. we've taken venture capital, but a long time ago we've been kind of operating as a like, not bootstrap but operating cash flow positive for a long time and um kind of accumulating cash on our on our balance sheet so um we weren't like living paycheck to paycheck as a company i had a good amount of cash sitting there for years and for years also when there were no interest rates so just doing nothing and i always viewed it as okay well that's, this is what the cash is for it's just going to sit there it's our, it's our cushion it's our margin and then all of a sudden, my investors start calling. A couple of investors, you know, get texts when, uh, like, I think right around when this stuff was hitting the news with SVB, and start seeing a couple of my peers have real issues, struggling, or not sure if they're gonna be able to make payroll because they're not sure if their bank is holding their money. And it was, it was this light bulb moment when I realized, oh yeah, the whole world is kind of waking up to the fact that fractional banking actually means that you're just holding an IOU and these banks actually don't have the money. It's, there's not this imaginary safe where my money is. Even though I knew that intellectually, it actually hit the rubber, met, met the road, when um, particularly in startup land, where we just assume the capital's there and that's what it's for. And I realized like, wow, you know what? <laughs> my The fact that I'm keep storing this cash in um, in a bank, now luckily we didn't get caught up with that stuff, because so we didn't use SVB or one of those banks, but could have been the same. This is, I'm taking on counterparty risk in the same way that I'd be taking on some other kind of risk, like price risk by diversifying assets. So there's, it it would be foolish to move into any, to move my company's capital into any one institution or any one instrument, um, including U.S. dollars and the U.S. banking system. So I was like, this is, why am I, why am I 100% invested in this one counterparty that something could easily happen. Some black swan event is clearly happening if the government didn't intervene. So at that point, that's when I started getting really serious about it. And it was the, it was also, it, it was this opening for me too, with my like investors and people to who are other stakeholders in the company. Like, hey, look, this is, um, I think this is prudent, not because of number go up. Granted, that's probably a, a, at the root of, you know, the reason for doing it. But at the same time, all of the other reasons for investing in Bitcoin really came, became real at that point. It's like, if I can't get the money out of the bank, well, I don't have custody over it. I don't know. Like, the, you're kind of out of luck. So all of the other features of Bitcoin actually, I think, became a lot more clearly important. So um, that's when I actually made it an initiative, was very upfront about it, was um, kind of in earnest pursuing um, you know, seeing how do I approach custody? How do I approach, you know, all the other people that need to be involved, all that kind of stuff. So it led me to Unchained actually. So that's that's kind of how we became a a customer. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. I love it. I guess, can you dive deeper into like what the initial reaction was from, I guess the board, which I guess you could have done whatever you want from what I understand, but you still wanted to get those stakeholders on board with your strategy. Were they like, this is crazy. Or when you gave the background of like, what's happening, like they were like, okay, that kind of makes sense. And then same with your employees. Like, how did you go about explaining, you know, what you're doing to your employees?
0: Mm-hmm. So I think before saying anything, I think one important thing to keep in mind is I've had, our company said years of a track record and a lot of trust building. So this wasn't me coming in six months after like an investment or someone's met me and say, Hey, look, I'm going to do this crazy strategy. This is after six, seven years of, of built up trust. So the main stakeholders who I need to communicate this stuff to these are some of my closest like colleagues and people who have been following us invest in our company for a long time. So we're starting from that place of trust where it's like, okay, there's, there's a lot of reason behind this. And they see how I make decisions and they see how we make decisions. So, um, I don't I don't know if I would have had the these so accumulated social capital to be able to push forward an unorthodox strategy like this um, had it not been for those years of accumulated trust so I think that's like kind of a core found a key part of it a key foundation so that being said um, the when I had talked about it years before where, where this wasn't really the case it was not met with like overall skepticism more met with like hey this is just not, this company is designed to be a software company, you know, it's just not, it, you're not uh, a fund, you know, they're not trying to just maximize returns to cash the balance sheet. It's not really the design of it. So that was more of the response to it, which makes sense. Totally. Like you raise money for a reason. Um, but I think once it transitioned from purely like, okay, this is a better appreciating asset to have on the balance sheet to this is actually, there's other strategic reasons for this. Then it became a much, that's just a much smoother conversation. So the, while you're at, right, I didn't need to get like approval um, directly for these things. I wanted to effectively do that. So I had a bunch of those conversations that were just really going into the reasoning. More also me just articulating these things like, say, like, do I really actually want to do this? Does this, is it just worth the squeeze? I, I, I can write this out and it makes a lot of sense to me. I've wanted to do it for a while. Let me just articulate this and make sure I can defend my position and talk through the risks and make sure there's solutions for all those. So those conversations were all very smooth and they were they were just conversations, not debates, um, both with external kind of like stakeholders and then the more like internal like employees and, and stuff like that. So um, I could dive deeper in any aspect of that because there's definitely a lot to consider, but yeah, if you're curious.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's... It's interesting going about it because i could see people at the time early or late 2022 early 2023 you know bitcoin has been in a pretty long dark bear market so i can i would imagine out people outside of bitcoin that aren't reading about bitcoin reading bitcoin books or listening to bitcoin podcasts might be like this is crazy like i understand mm-hmm. like the risk with maybe the banking system that you're bringing up but we're buying an asset that's down 70 are, percent. are you sure that you're doing the right thing here Mm mm-hmm yeah funny enough um
0: i don't think the price that actually was not the one i would say of the things i had to talk through in terms of risk it was less about price because i think by that time the folks who i've been talking to there's enough familiarity with bitcoin and how the price works where i was i've actually been surprised at how most people that or at least when in my industry, like it, it's kind of taken as a given. Like, oh yeah, I, I know that over time Bitcoin increases. So the price volatility wasn't that big of a, an issue. It was more about custody and um, like, all right, how are you making sure that you don't mess up the company money <laughs> um, and those types of risks. So I think that 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 was surprising to me because I thought I would have to talk about price a lot more, but really found myself talking about internal risk and Um, allocation and just that strategy more, which is definitely what I wanted to talk about more because that's what I was thinking about. Because in my mind, the price is, as long as I'm being, you know, having developed that muscle personally, I know that I'm not going to panic sell, you know. But at the same, so what I was much more concerned about was the the other risks associated with it. Yeah, Um, for sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I I I guess there was was a there's the conversations are different between investor and like employees for example so that that, that conversation has been a little bit a little bit different and also more long term um yeah
1: fair yeah I'm, I'm curious like once you put bitcoin on the balance sheet did anything change as far as like investors or the board or the, your employees did the culture change at all it is subtly yeah here's
0: the thing about bitcoin that i'm just
1: learning now
0: so as a bitcoiner for eight eight years and I, I mentioned that I, I realized it creeping into different parts of my life that I didn't expect. Um, I've noticed personally that Bitcoin is like a forcing function for more disciplined decisions. Uh, do, do you feel that do you feel that way in your own life?
1: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, you're definitely a lot more cautious about what you're spending money on, and it forces you to do things today that you know you should be doing for the long-term, but you may not have been doing to begin with. The Unchained IRA is continuing to break new records. With a Roth Bitcoin IRA, you don't pay capital gains on the appreciation of Bitcoin. Unchained offers a solution. They make it simple for you to set up a Bitcoin IRA while keeping control of your Bitcoin keys. Use code FRONTIER for $100 off and schedule your consultation today at unchained.com IRA. And now back to the show.
0: Yeah. And I, I, even, I even see like the way that I perceive my own money. And I, I didn't realize this, but um, until I would say that only this year, I've had a true like flipping in my head where i started denominating things in Bitcoin. And that's ch- changed the way that I've looked at a lot. Um, just like, okay, when I bought this house, if you look at my personal portfolio, um, if you look at it in fiat terms when I started investing around the time that I told you maybe like 2016 or something, um, if you look at all the things I've invested in, I'm like, okay, in fiat terms, that wasn't a bad investment. That was okay. Sure. I think I've done a pretty, pretty good job of decision-making. And then I flipped it. I looked at it in Bitcoin terms and I'm like, wow, I like I mentioned like precious metals. I'm like, okay, I thought this was a good idea. If I look at that gold in Bitcoin terms, it's lost 99% of its purchasing power like this is a disaster like literally everything all of these things it's a complete disaster what i definitely should have done that was just really stick to what i kind of had a gut feeling for enough to you know throw some money at um boy i'll get the price that we deserve so i think the uh the having that flipping in my head just happened this year i've started realizing okay even over the last couple of years as like a kind of obsessed Bitcoiner, I have treated my cash, like my US dollars, like as less valuable and made less disciplined decisions with them. It's almost like this is the money to burn, whatever. Um, and then as soon as it as soon as it transforms into Bitcoin, it becomes more valuable to me, even if it's the same exact price level, even if the price doesn't change. It's like uh, if you to look at a thousand dollars of cash versus whatever that is in Bitcoin, like 0.2 something or 0.02 something. The point zero two something bitcoin is actually i i cherish that and i keep it and i want to protect it and i and i think about it and i, and I want to like make sure i steward it well and it's just fascinating so I, I i don't spend it and i send it forward to hopefully my kids like it's it's just it forces much better long-term thinking and it's just like fascinating how that happens even in ways that are not intentional so i've realized that once putting the bitcoin on the company balance sheet, a similar phenomenon has happened where starting with my own thinking as a CEO, um, what we've done is really artificially shortened our runway. So all of this cash, I didn't realize it, but having that cushion was causing me to make, not like bad decisions, I wasn't wasting capital, but it was allowing me to make less good decisions or probably more importantly, putting off hard decisions because we can kind of tolerate mediocrity and it's okay. If things cost more, it's okay. If things take longer, it's because we have this cash kitchen and whatever it's like, it's meant to be spent. It's, it's just, it's just, it's just fiat. <laughs> um, so like seeing how all of a sudden, when we have the same on our balance sheet, talk about no price difference in Bitcoin. Cause I just measure it on the cost basis, no price difference, just having it allocated into Bitcoin means we have less cash on the balance sheet and having less cash on the balance sheet forces better decision-making and more disciplined decision making. So I can tell you in the last year, the company itself has been undergoing a lot of like, I mean, SaaS in general has, has had a slowdown. So a lot of companies in our, in our industry, in our stage have dealt dealt with churn downgrades, um, uh, longer sales cycles, more just getting harder to sell especially in like sales and marketing SaaS, which is kind of where we fall going through that. And at the same time is artificially kind of like shortening our runway by putting our cash into an asset that we don't want to sell. It's forced us to take really, really hard looks into the business and get, um, very laser focused on the things that are, are truly creating value and eliminate a lot of the mediocre bloat that we've had. Um, so I don't say I wouldn't say Bitcoin has done that alone, but it has certainly been a catalyst for accelerating it. Because I can't, um, so there's not that that psychological margin that gives us an extra two years of runway. It's actually shortened that to the point where it's like, no, we have to figure this out in a couple of months. Um, otherwise, you have to dip into the Bitcoin, and that's not acceptable. <laughs> so, um, I would say that that is that has infused my decision making and started to I think cascade down to other decisions, the company, and other people. Um, but it's uh, we're still really early in it. So uh, I, w- I would say it's like to be determined how that impacts the long-term outcome of the company.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I guess uh, you made a very interesting point about how it you know artificially shortens your runway. And that makes a lot of sense. It's like if you do eventually or one day have to dip into your Bitcoin savings to do something that... Probably means you made you know a subpar decision in the past that resulted mm-hmm. in you having to dive into your savings because you were unprofitable at least for a specific period, which I think is kind of fascinating to think about or
0: well, it just raises the bar for it because it could be it could mean we made bad decisions that we burned too much capital, but it could mean we actually figured something really important out. and I think that the investment we can make from our bitcoin can outpace the growth of Bitcoin, which just means that it's it's not eliminating that capital from balance sheet. It's just really raising the bar for using it because every decision, if I'm going to take money out from, from the Bitcoin treasury, I need to believe that that capital is going to out, that's going to outpace the growth of just leaving it in there. So it raises the bar for the investment. Um, yep. Yeah. It's almost like I, so I'm a, I'm a type one diabetic. And this is the way I think about dessert. <laughs> it's like people ask, or this must be hard, like, you know, not being able to eat pizza and stuff all the time. It's like, well, actually Granted, I would rather not have type 1 diabetes than have it but the what it's done to my choice in like dessert or food in general is I, I can eat anything I want there's just a much higher bar for what I choose to eat as dessert or or carbs um, because I know okay if I'm if I'm gonna eat this slice of pizza not only do I have to take a bunch of insulin I'm gonna have to manage this for the next few hours if I go to bed I have to do all that like just gotta it's, it's just a process it's like driving in manual instead of driving in automatic do i really want that pizza and and usually like nine times out of ten the answer is like no it's not worth it i'll just eat some steak <laughs> um but uh it, but those, those times when there's let's say I'm, I'm at someone's house and they make like they go out of their way and make a great apple pie and it looks amazing and like yeah that's worth it i'm gonna go through it the bar for that was a lot higher but i'm still gonna do it so i almost got to see it that way um, it just raises the bar for actually making the decision.
1: Yeah. And then to me, it seems like you're obviously one of the few, like you're basically a smaller micro-sailor. So there's obviously not many companies or, or people quite like you guys. Um, and it'll be very interesting over time to see as other companies actually adopt the same strategy. And if you have that discipline on an individual level, start to be among a collective group of individuals and like maybe eventually the whole world, it's going to be interesting, I guess, to see like how what it what it means when the world actually becomes the same level of extreme discipline.
0: That is that is a such a good question because I've I've thought about that a lot and like what does that do to our current economy? Because I think there are a lot of decisions out there that have been made because the money is just not that valuable. But people people subconsciously know it's getting less valuable. This is this is how I talk to my friends usually about about Bitcoin when they. You know, inevitably, you get the every couple of years, people start wanting to talk about it again, and they tell me to shut up for a while. I I usually frame it, I usually frame it in that way. Like, uh, it's it's easy to use house prices because I live in Nashville, just like a lot of places around the country. But it's it's a place where housing has become, you know, almost completely unaffordable for most people, and they're like their twenties and and thirties who just trying to get their their first house and um when i when i do the flipping side of it and, and say like okay well if you this is you baby you know using the, the analogy of basically trying to walk uphill on a treadmill that is moving backwards <laughs> like you're, you're 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 swimming upstream here um there if you if you look at it on the it basically changed the denominator Help them look at it that way it helps and i think if businesses look at their at their capital that way in their treasuries i think it does change a lot i think it changes um a lot of the products that we see in market i think it changes the quality of products we see in the market um i think it changes what we choose to reward like in terms of um investors like i think there's a ton of businesses that would never be funded if we had a, a hard money standard um versus the companies that were funded over the last few years with really, really cheap capital. So I, I don't know. It probably looks like a very, very different economy, which I'm very curious to know about kind of similar. Like you know, I'm not sure if you've, if you've read about like cathedrals and how those things were built for, you know, hundreds of years without, um, you know, someone be working on it with any expectation of finishing it because there's such a long-term focus, slow time preference. So I don't know. I would like to think that something like that can emerge. I don't know when.
1: Yeah. I mean, it seems like if Bitcoin is the best money, it might be somewhat inevitable. Um, when you think about like compare like evaluating investments or like engagements or projects within your company and, and evaluating it compared to Bitcoin, like will Bitcoin outperform this? Do you think about that always from a long term perspective? Because like obviously Bitcoin is super volatile. So like in the next year, next six months, you know, who knows what the price of Bitcoin is gonna do, or do you still expect Bitcoin to do, you know, perpetually well in, in the short term? But are you mainly comparing it to like is this project good for the next five years for my for our company how do you think about the the length of different yeah projects? the short term
0: yeah in the short term i'm trying I so far i've i've kind of adopted the policy of always having 12 months of runway in the bank of, of cash so that it's not really a question about um tapping into the bitcoin stack so that's been the just my general policy and the cushion that, uh, that I'm comfortable with, that I'm comfortable sharing with investors. Um, I also want, so we're very transparent with employees and any external stakeholders in the company. I send a monthly investor update, all the employees, are CC'd, everybody kind of, if they're reading it, they, they they can see kind of what's going on in our balance sheet, what the burn is, how much runway we have, all of those details. So it's very important to me for people to, to know that and be clued in. And I don't want, um, like it's, it can be tempting if you're too over invested into Bitcoin or any asset, you know, to be like looking at the Bitcoin chart and thinking, okay, my, my job depends on this. That's, that's like the opposite of what, uh, what you want. Cause all of a sudden you turn your company to an extremely high time preference company. Um, so I think that's the, that's the, the, the balance of having the margin enough. So it doesn't, doesn't matter the short term. So I think that's in general, I try to keep everything very long-term focus to not have it uh, not have bitcoin influence the the short-term decisions um it more so i would say impacts making new new investments and usually that's like hiring people and and saying okay are we going to really grow the team right now and what like what do we need to what do we hope to accomplish with this hire with this position and is that actually going to deliver a return or can we do more with our current existing team, use our time more wisely right now? And um, yeah, kind of crazy, th- crazy things happen. I, I I went on this like nerd bender and did my whole, uh, we, like my historic projections denominated in Bitcoin rather than, you know, I took my financial model of the company, which is denominated in dollars, obviously. It's like, Hey, I wonder what if I just like denominated this in Bitcoin, what, what actually was the case? It's pretty fascinating if you if you just do the math and think like, okay, this is this is what a year salary of a software engineer was worth uh, you know, seven years ago. And we all think it's gone way up. And I'm like, oh, that's actually really interesting. It's gone way down if if the company was allocated in the right currency or the, the right asset. Um, yeah. That's a whole rabbit hole in itself, but that's that's kind of how I how I viewed it. Started to try to look at all these things. In my own brain is a bitcoin
1: standard in this frontier moment we're talking about denominating software engineer salaries in bitcoin in 2010 the median salary for a software engineer in the us was about ninety thousand dollars equivalent to thousands of bitcoins fast forward to 2015 the median salary rose to around a hundred thousand but with bitcoin's price reaching about 430 by the end of the year this salary was 232 Bitcoins. Now in 2024, the median software engineer salary is around 136,000, but with Bitcoins price at 40,000, this salary is now only worth 3.4 Bitcoins. This highlights how hiring decisions you make today as a business operator are potentially your most costly decisions compared to decisions you make 10 years from now. Time today is valuable, On the other hand, as an employee, your first job might actually pay you the most Bitcoin. Your time today is valuable. Ironically, this is related to what Keynes said back in 1930. By 2030, people would work only 15 hours per week. While this may not have come to fruition exactly as he envisioned, Bitcoin may be the monetary tool that helps people earn more early in their careers and retire or become financially free sooner than they expected. And now back to Drew. Yeah, that's yeah that the like earning Bitcoin is kind of, or and paying employees in Bitcoin is such an interesting point. It's like it's almost like your first employees are going to be the most expensive employees because mm-hmm. that's a lower Bitcoin price most likely. It's kind of like everyone's mm-hmm. first job in hindsight was actually their highest <laughs> yeah. paying job, even though my first job was working in a golf course in high school. But if I'd been buying Bitcoin back then, it would have been pretty. i never really
0: thought. Oh, I'd never even thought of that. Thinking, what was I working in 2009? Yeah, I had an internship selling digital printing. Yeah. I remember I was making 500 bucks a week, which would have been a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny to think about. Last question, I guess, on your company topic Has Bitcoin influenced in like your product or service offerings at all? Or is it mainly just you're using it as a, you know, a money at the end of the day, and you're staying focused on your core competency.
0: Yeah, right now it has not impacted, nor do I think it will. We're we're pretty removed from the financial world or anything like that. So I don't I don't see Bitcoin crossing over into our product, um, but I do see it as almost like a little superpower, kind of for the reasons I've described thus far. It's kind of like sticking in this machine to drive better decisions. So that's what I'm really excited to see. So it's definitely impacting our product decisions. I can even see that now in our product roadmap for this year. Um, it's forced us to take. If you look at, if you looked at like our January plan for the last like four or five years, unfortunately, we have made several big bets as a business that we knew were bets that haven't really worked out. To be honest, several of our big product initiatives we thought were going to be kind of game changing. None of them, like I would say, a couple failed, but several of them were just kind of receded into, okay, this is like a new feature that we've got, but it's not really, it hasn't really changed the trajectory of the company in the way we want it to. Um, so I would say that because those were less disciplined decisions than we could have made, because we were, we knew we were making these like big bets. Like say, let's try this big thing that we don't really know if it's going to work. But let's throw a bunch of money at it and see if it works. This year it looks very different. Um, and I don't think that is unrelated to Bitcoin. It looks like, okay, we, we've assess the top 1% of customers we have in terms of usage and value and decided to build around that use case because we have a lot of confidence that this is going to work. Now, it's going to take a little while because it requires a lot of, just like everything else, takes a lot of building on time, a lot of investment, but much higher confidence in our plan because we're building around things that are kind of have a much more solid foundation. So the decision making that went into that is very much related to the artificially shortened runway and needing to make something that turns uh that turns into revenue more quickly with more with higher confidence so that's the way it's impacted it
1: yeah i love it i feel like that's the way to do i mean there's so many bitcoin companies the probably the best strategy at this point is like using existing companies and just inserting bitcoin as a treasury asset and then letting decisions flow around that decision and using bitcoin as a tool for for making decisions like you're talking about mm-hmm. that's a great point um, let's kind of talk about AI some since you are a machine learning AI type company. What do you think about the current state of AI? Like obviously ChatGPT has been like a phenomenon over the last, I guess, year or so at this point. Yeah. Is that a truly a massive breakthrough or is it just kind of like a facade of like, you know, fake it's 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 not really like doing what it is what is portrayed to do. It's not like a super intelligent being that knows all the answers. It's just kind of like a ton of data and a ton of parameters back together. What do you, what do you think about it?
0: Yeah, the, so having been paying attention to it for a while, so Crystal itself is not a generative AI platform. We, we, we are a narrow AI tool. So we've been building predictive models that are much more statistical in nature for the last like eight years to do some very narrow things. So we still do those better than a general language model but we're no long, nowhere close to the, the breadth of things that can be done. We're just we're making very accurate predictions because we've got these really big data sets and we can actually show where it comes from. It's not a black box. So there's a big difference between what Crystal does and what all these LLMs do. Now, that being said, I do think this is pretty... What we're, what we're going through is a, is a um, phase shift in how people interact with the software. Um, so, I mean, the main breakthrough was Transformers and how... Those were kind of introduced and then ultimately packaged up into this chat interface when ChatGPT was launched. And
1: in this frontier moment, we're talking about transformers in artificial intelligence. Transformers in AI, like the ones used in Chat GPT, can be compared to a skilled conductor leading an orchestra. Just as a conductor attentively listens to all the different instruments and decides which ones need to be emphasized at what time. Transformers use an attention mechanism to focus on different parts of a sentence or text. They assess each word or phrase's importance in context, similar to how the conductor knows when to highlight the violins or bring in the drums for maximum effect. This ability to simultaneously process and prioritize different elements, like a conductor harmonizing an orchestra, allows transformers to understand and generate human language with remarkable efficiency and nuance. This is what powers advanced AI models, enabling them to converse, write, and even code with a level of skill that seems almost human. So just as a conductor brings out the best in an orchestra, transformers bring out the deepest meanings and connections in language. And now back to Drew.
0: Um, And then a little before that, when when GPT-3 was launched and companies started building around it, that's when I started tinkering with it for our company and for um, little projects. So long story short, I think we're in the beginning of a hype cycle that's likely to have a trough of sorrow where people are, uh, or it's called trough of disillusionment, not trough of sorrow, trough of disillusionment, um, where people are like, I mean, you, you can already see people are encountering the limitations of these tools where it's not accurate enough, not fast enough. There's a lot of outsized expectations for what these can accomplish, and they're going to replace human beings and stuff, where that eventually hits this you know, lull. Um, however, I could see in our own business and a lot of other businesses, I think there's a lot of meat to this bone. And I'm seeing it mostly in the use cases where, one, where um, you're not eliminating a person's job, but there's some like 80% of a job to be done that you can that you can replace and then you still have a human involved. That's that to me is the biggest opportunity. Like we're hoping this thing goes from like zero to 100. And then because it doesn't go from zero to 100, you see people saying, okay, this doesn't work. I'm gonna do this manually. Meanwhile, I think the smarter approach to it is saying, okay, well, this can't get me zero to 100 on this task, but I think it can get us to 60, 70, 80. And all of a sudden you made someone way more, way more productive if they know how to use it properly. So that's, that's nothing groundbreaking. I think a lot of people just get kind of that meme about being replaced by somebody using AI, but I think it, there's a lot of truth to it, um, and we that, that's how we've adopted it mostly. And we're actually pursuing, um, like AI enabled services as a pretty substantial part of our, like our own offering where you've got a human delivering at the end of the day, the service, but they, they have access to these internal tools and data sets that would not previously be possible. So I think that's like the short to medium term benefit is companies that do that really well and build systems around these commoditized LLMs, I think had a chance to do really, really well and um, build like incrementally better, faster, more efficient services in almost any any space. So that to me is the, the big opportunity. Um I do not think that uh, I, I actually don't think many people are going many people's jobs are going to be replaced with it. Um, nor do I think it's particularly deflationary. I think actually in the short term it's kind of inflationary um, because of the the amount that simply costs to run these models. But um that's the those are kind of my overall wrapped up thoughts in it. I've got a <laughs> we've we've been having these, you know, debates internally for the last year um and writing about it so that's the current state of it subject to change based on whatever comes out next
1: yeah very interesting so yeah you you think in the short term it's potentially inflationary just given the cost to build some of these models um and and, but you'd still i guess buy into the idea of it's long-term deflationary or or, and like makes humanity more productive obviously or, or would you even disagree with
0: that yeah it depends it depends what what cost you're looking at as far as being inflationary or deflationary. I think if you're looking at raw output of content, it's obviously deflationary. So maybe shouldn't, I should probably qualify what is deflationary and inflationary. So raw output of content. Like if you check my, if I check my email inbox right now, I get 30 times the amount of spam sales emails because it's much easier to write technically, you know, quote unquote personalized emails but so it's, it's deflationary in the sense that I'm getting a lot more emails. The cost of producing an email just went close to zero and I can tell it's so funny how you could see the patterns in them because you immediately know, okay, they, they're all looking the same because they're all using the same models and they'll they have the same little subject line and they all pull the same facts about me because they're writing the same prompts. Um, so it's like, okay, I, I've seen this email now 50 times. I know that this is getting written by some model, whether it's Bard or chat or something else. Um, so in that sense, yeah, deflationary. cheaper to write an email, send the email out. And I think that'll happen across the board, but I think it's inflationary in a few senses. One, it just completely blew up and let's take the small use case, completely blew up the ability to get my attention via email. So someone's going to have to figure out how to spend more money to get my attention as a buyer now to where I think it just, I think it just limited a whole channel. Or maybe like severely diminished the effectiveness of the whole channel to where I'm starting to see companies spend a a lot more on customer acquisition. Conversion rates have dove down, which means sales has gotten much more expensive. So, in that sense, I think very inflationary, especially in the software industry. Um, Another way I think it's inflationary is that many, many companies are starting to implement these models into their products and creating dependencies on external companies, which, you know, might be OpenAI, might be Google. Um, and those companies have external dependencies because it takes a massive amount of power and computing and just software and computers to, um, make these features work and make these models work. So it's kind of like another AWS level tax where. You know, everybody had this like internet tax with AWS on it, and it, we've kind of added another layer to it, where there's like an AI tax now for for software to run, and as it's definitely going to be implemented more and more and more. I think like those costs. I don't I don't know how that curve goes up. I'm not really in that space, so I don't know what it looks like. But I do know that it's it's a lot more expensive to run incrementally more software when it's got a language model attached to it, whereas before there's not really that. Incremental cost of goods sold for software, um, so that in those ways, I believe it's inflationary. So probably long-term deflationary, but right now, I think there's there's a lot of costs being incurred both in sales, the go-to-market side, and on the on the backend infrastructure. Interesting.
1: Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. And I guess that's probably part of the reason why we would eventually see cycles within AI, just like we've seen cycles within Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Like it's not as effective and not as cheap as people expect in the short term. And that just causes too much hype and not enough realistic, you know, efficiency gains in, in the short term. Yeah, I think the AI one is it's
0: it's been so it's been really unique in some ways to follow because um, most of these cycles happen, I think, in a in a niche where you can kind of see it in the industry, So There's a lot of groupthink, and it goes up in a very clear pattern. The AI one's been so different just, I think, because it's taken off in so many different corners of the world and the economy to where you can, there's so many mixed signals, the whole thing. Because you could see in certain areas where it's like immediately having real strong impact, where it might be going through a, a regular adoption cycle, where it is being truly disruptive. And in other areas, it's going through this giant hype cycle where um, it's actually probably looks a lot more like that big peak and then a big trough where people kind of get sick of it. Like I think in, I don't know, maybe the area of entertainment is one of those where insane outsized expectations where it's like, oh, this is going to destroy music and, and songwriting and all this stuff. And then you realize like, oh, actually, no, it it lacks a certain, like, I think the humanity is the key part of, of those creative areas. So I think that's that's an area where you're going to have this big trough of disillusionment. But in areas like, outsourced global IT consulting where there's a lot of tasks to be done that you can basically automate or 80% automate and severely reduce the cost. I think that's an area where it's like true disruption happening. And so I just think there's a lot, AI is such a big umbrella term, both in terms of technology and also in overall like market application. So you really have to like narrow in on what space we're talking about, what part of it we're talking about.
1: Yeah, for sure. So like comparing that to Bitcoin adoption, I mean, I, I feel like those are both two technologies that are being adopted. You would say like AI is being adopted in specific industries just because of like the nature of what it does and how it can help. And then Bitcoin, I guess is like, would you say everyone can benefit from a way or, or is it still kind of the same way where like specific segments of the world are not going to intuitively Adopt Bitcoin as fast, or or hmm. or maybe not be as beneficial to them for some reason. How do you think about that? That's good.
0: I think so. AI is very is a more of an end user facing tool. I mean, most people in, in the developed world, like and, and really all over the world, have like heard of Bitcoin at this point. But um, interfacing it interfacing with it regularly, I don't I don't know if most people will long term. I mean, I think, I think it sits at the core. It's a strong foundation for a global financial system. But um, I think my, my prediction is that in 20 years, Bitcoin is going to be incredibly boring. <laughs> it's just going to be this thing that nobody really thinks about, but it's underlying a much stronger system. Um, I think AI will be much more in our face all the time. Um, I know as like someone who works in software, it's starting to be in my face all the time. I can't ignore it. Um, whether they're good applications or bad applications, it's, it's there. It's getting reminders every single day. So... I think adoption is likely to be more widespread, probably, uh, of AI. Um, That being said, I think the economics of AI are much worse. Like, if I had the choice to just invest in Bitcoin today versus um, invest in AI companies, I think it's so unpredictable as far as, like, what is going to be the return on AI? I think we're seeing this in the language models themselves. Like, if you thought last year OpenAI was going to be the next trillion-dollar company, and they still might be. But we're also seeing how competitive that market is getting and how quickly language models are being commoditized. So they need to actually find competitive moats. And who know? I mean, who knows? Uh, we, we just don't, we don't know if AI itself is actually a good investment right now. It's going to be a transformative technology, but it might actually just be a new commodity that looks a lot like just open source computing. Um, so, yeah, so it, it, like economically speaking, I'd much rather invest in the foundation of an immutable asset kind of underlying financial system. Um, But as far as like, what do I think people will interact with more on a daily basis? Probably, probably AI tools going forward. Um, Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to like link the two in my head and I'm having trouble with it because I, I I know there's, I know there's overlap there and maybe some, maybe some conflicts, you know, and some, some people have framed it as Bitcoin as being inherently decent, like, the decentralizing force of the world and AI being this like centralizing force because AI requires this, like it's just, it's, it's a sponge for information and it's going to like drift towards centralization because of that. I don't know if that's true. I could see a world where where we all have our like decentralized AI models, but I don't know. So I I could see that as a potential outcome where you have like decentralization of Bitcoin. as kind of in a constant battle against the centralizing force of AI in some way, but honestly still trying to work that out in my head i don't i don't really know
1: yeah no for sure yeah i thought it was interesting because like obviously bitcoin is an adoption curve within itself and ai is also with an adoption curve but a thought that came to mind was like in the bitcoin adoption curve you don't have like an ai you don't have people necessarily buying like ai tools and then reselling them once the Mm -hmm. ai tool has gone up like 100x. Whereas, like Bitcoin, an early adopter might have bought Bitcoin and you know 10 plus years ago, and then they're now selling their Bitcoins into the market, and then that mm-hmm. brings in a bear market that you know other people that confuse other people of like what even is Bitcoin and just crashed a lot. So yeah, mm-hmm. no, I, I think you made some great points though.
0: I think the invention of art of the invention of digital scarcity is just something we've never seen before. Like so, we're only 15 years into that. Um, whereas adding AI to me. It is a brand new technology but it probably looks a lot more like a traditional technology adoption cycle because all other technology works that way where it enters into this phase where there's a a frenzy and then people make more and more and more of it and it becomes cheaper and then over time it gets distributed and overall cost goes down bitcoin is not that bitcoin is digital scarcity so it's having the opposite like reflexive effect where the more and more people adopt it actually the price of the thing goes up um so i i think that's like a There's a divergence there uh, to reconcile. So I think Bitcoin is the one that's the black is the Bitcoin is the black swan. Um, Meanwhile, I think AI looks a lot more like the technology adoption curves that we are accustomed to.
1: Yeah, completely. And I think that's probably why a lot of people are still so confused about what Bitcoin even is because it's a technology adoption curve that we haven't quite seen for a unique product that hasn't really existed before. (laughs) um last question then we can probably wrap it up what What are your thoughts like short term and long term on like the idea of agi or the singularity where like technology is just rapidly advancing at unprecedented levels do you buy into mm. that idea do you think that that's like super far out there or crazy what do you think um well i
0: mean my guess is as good as anybody else's um so I'm not exactly like working on the forefront of research where we're, we have a clever application of AI and a software tool to help businesses. So I'm a little bit downstream from those questions. So I'm just as qualified as, you know, anybody else to answer those questions. But my opinion, um, I actually, I find myself agreeing more with like Peter Thiel on this, where I think we're actually in the period where we believe things are progressing really quickly, but we're actually in significant amount of stagnation. Um, I think that's most evident by if you take your head out of the world of bits and stick it into the world of atoms where sure we've got these language models, we've got mid journey, which can create this incredible images and we have new, like legitimately good AR and VR tools coming out. Like the digital world is getting pretty good, but we also have like planes with doors flying off in the air. And if you look at the like, Aviation hasn't really improved in like 50 years. Like, this is this to me that is that is stagnation. We haven't built any nuclear power plants, and energy has in general gotten more expensive uh, over the time. Um, construction, it's like the same way. If you look at the construction center uh, sector, I just listened to how Beth, or maybe it was, maybe it was for economics. I don't know. It taught, taught me a lot about how construction, even though we built a bunch of things, that whole sector has just been uh, seeming like decline. I'm looking at anything where you look in the world of atoms right now, it's kind of stagnated and it's struggling. Um, so I, I don't really buy the, uh, the argument that we're like careening towards a singularity and this like um, this inevitable point where machines take over. I think we actually, I think the opposite case, I think the stagnation is more dangerous because even though we're progressing quickly in the digital world, I think the physical world is really at risk of like, Having serious issues of scarcity, um if we don't, it, it, and this all goes back to like fiat money and getting on a sound money standard. It's all linked. But yeah, I, I so if I was to if I was to make a bet on one, I would I would say we're actually at risk of stagnating more than we are at risk of letting pr- progress get out of hand.
1: Fair, yeah. I mean, when you were talking, it definitely reminded me of the whole concept of like maybe the short-term profits have always been in the digital world and without Bitcoin Mm. or without sound money, that's where all of the money flowed to the short-term technology companies. And then that the opportunity cost of putting all the capital into the short-term technology companies has resulted in the stagnation of the physical world. But I guess like I'm kind of optimistic, like with Bitcoin and with Bitcoin mining specifically, it's like that's Mm. now a, you know, bounty to find and produce the cheapest energy in the world and maybe like Bitcoin is that thing that's gonna connect us to progress back in the, the physical world I think so
0: yeah I think the idea of looking I mean I was just I was just hanging out at Bitcoin park not for the mining yes. summit but a little bit before it and um hearing uh, uh hearing people talk about bitcoin mining and realize and seeing this all actually happen in reality as like a sponge for excess energy in the world and people just how smart these people are and how much bigger their brains are than mine. Like the people that are attracted to Bitcoin mining right now are like the PhDs and like the best electrical engineers. And, um, I met a guy who was, uh, he was exiting, I think the defense space. Um, and he was an engineer specializing in heat transfer and entering the Bitcoin mining space. And I'm like, you were so intelligent. And this is amazing that that space specifically is attracting all this talent. And it's and into what you were saying, rather than going towards like optimizing ad spend and getting people to click on something, you actually have these incredibly smart, talented people entering into one of the most important problems we can work on, which is how do humans like effectively capture and use energy. Um, so I agree, that's really that's
1: it's a really cool canary in the coal mine for potentially a much better economy. Hundred percent, yeah. Well said. True. This was awesome. I, I feel like we could probably talk for a while about so many different topics, but yeah. eventually we got to wrap it up. Um, where can people go learn more about you or contact you or learn more about your company?
0: Uh, the company is Crystal. So you can just Google um, Crystal Nose. So or go to uh, crystalknows.com. C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-K-N-O-W-S. Um, for me, oh gosh, honestly, my social network is LinkedIn and I hate that. So, just look me up on LinkedIn, TrueDags, you know. Um, but yeah, that's it.
1: Cool. Yeah, I love it. True, thanks again. This was awesome. All right, thanks, Joe.